last week in our study of the book of Acts, we saw the fulfillment of God's promises for his church on the day of Pentecost through his pouring out of the Holy Spirit upon the disciples in such a dramatic way that it attracted an international audience. Um, Jesus uh, was demonstrated to be the bestower of the uh, spirit that he promised for the people to come in the last days. It's Jesus who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. We talked about how the sound like a mighty rushing wind echoed the imagery of the powerful operation of the Spirit of God in creation in the Old Testament, suggesting that the event about to take place marks the beginning of a new order. Pentecost publicly marks the transition from the old to the new and signifies the commencement of the now of the day of salvation. It's the threshold of the last days, as one person said, and inaugurates the new era. And indeed, the rest of our class, as we look at the book of Acts, is all focused on this new presence of the Spirit in the church after Pentecost and how that uh, sends the mission of the gospel first to Jerusalem and then to Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. We also talked about last week um, Peter's first uh, sermon or address that he gave to the crowd that assembled after the phenomenon of the, the noise of the spirit's bestowal and these people speaking in languages, not their own. Um, and he explained not just the phenomenon they witnessed in this sermon, but he connects it to the person and work of Jesus Christ. And it ends in that call to repent and be baptized. Um, so we, we talked about his sermon and the, the idea it's about promise, the fulfillment of God's promise, and the resurrection and ascension of Jesus Christ. Um, God's promised blessing of, um, of the Spirit uh, is the result of God raising Jesus to the right hand, where he now mediates God's promised blessing. The speech reveals the gospel to be the good news, that God's promises have been fulfilled in Jesus Christ, who died for sin and sits at God's side, distributing the benefits of salvation, rooted in forgiveness and the provision of the Spirit. And we noted how Peter relies heavily on these three different passages from the Old Testament to establish um, that prophecy has been fulfilled and God's plan has been accomplished through the Lord and Messiah, Jesus Christ. And finally, uh, last week, we just touched briefly on the end, um, this enormous response to the gospel proclamation, which led not just to individual conversion, but to change um, in this creation of this community of believers devoted to fellowship, devoted to the apostles' teaching, devoted to the breaking of bread with one another, devoted to prayer, um, so committed in love to one another that they sacrificially gave all that they had. Um, and since this passage uh, really describes the, the foundation of Christ's church, I, I wanted, we just kind of crammed it in at the end last week. So I actually want to start, um, even though we'll spend most of our time looking at chapter three, I want to start with this passage 242 to 47, um, before we turn to chapter 3, which is the first performance of a miracle by one of the apostles in the Acts of the Apostle, um, this miracle of healing this man who's been paralyzed uh, since birth, um, and he's healed in the, uh, well, he's healed at the gate of the temple, um, which then leads to Peter's second uh, address that we see in the book of Acts. So let me uh, read the passage for us, and then I'll pray, and then we'll dig into Acts uh, the end of Acts chapter 2 and chapter 3. So here now the word of God from Acts chapter 2, and we'll start in verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together, and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together 
and breaking bread in their homes. They received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man, lame from birth, was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the Beautiful Gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people who saw him, saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gates of the temple, asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us? as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead, to this we are witnesses. And his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus have, has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn again, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Moses said, the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaimed these days. You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your fathers saying to Abraham, and in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. Thus far, the reading of God's holy word. Let's ask him to bless it as we uh, talk about it and think on it this morning. Let's pray. Gracious God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we do praise you for this glorious gospel, this good news that you have proclaimed, this news of your Son, Jesus Christ, the author of life, as Peter calls him here, uh, this blessed, righteous, and holy one who was killed instead of a murderer, who, though he was innocent, gave his life up to a crowd um, that meant evil for him, 
but you meant his death for our good, that by his stripes we are healed. By his death we are cleansed of our sin and clothed in his perfect righteousness, and that by your raising him to your right hand where he rules his church, you have sent your spirit to guide us into all truth, to guide us uh, in our understanding of him, to unite us one to another in the same Jesus Christ. Lord God, we thank you for your gift to us of the spirit, and we thank you for the gift to us of your church that is fueled by that spirit to uh, proclaim this gospel, to continue this mission that we see in the book of Acts, to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. Give us insight into your church. Give us insight into your good news as we study uh, your church in its earliest days. Teach us by your spirit, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. Okay, so last week uh, we noted this tremendous response to the gospel proclamation that Peter made. Um, so there, those who received his word were baptized and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And then we get this description um, that, uh, if you have an ESV, it titles this section, The Fellowship of Believers. So what do we learn about this fellowship, this gathering of believers? Um, and that word for fellowship that shows up in this passage is that you've probably heard the word koinonia. You know, it's that word of um, uh, of, of creating a communion together. It's, it's more than just the Rotary Club. <laughs> Koinonia in, um, in non-biblical Greek is most often used of the fellowship of a man has with his wife. That it's, you know, it's a fellowship within the marital bond. Like it's that type of a communion together. So what do we learn about um, this early gathering of believers. I gotta move my glasses up so I can see you. Yeah, Teresa. Yeah, that they're, they're the love that they show one another is so great that they're willing to part of their earthly substance. Um, and I like the, you know, she, it, it, the verbs there are um, imperfect, which means they're continuing action. So it's not like they got rid of everything all at once, like, you know, and that qualifier he get, he, as any had need. So as any had need, as you say, they, this person has need, so let me give of my substance to help meet this person's needs. So it's this kind of ongoing um, sacrificing of one's material possessions out of love for one another. And the other word you use, sacrificially. Yeah, that they're willing to, to do something that doesn't mean immediate gain for them. They're willing to do it selfishly, um, sacrificially. It costs them something. Good. What else about this early gathering. I mean, in one sense, uh, my campus minister used to say, this is the first description we have of what a church is like. Um, and, you know, to think about what that means of, you know, wh what is a church? Uh, when someone asked him, what is a church? He would often point, to, well, a church looks like this. This is what separates us from any other kind of gathering. Yeah, and there's actually, um, so some people wonder, is the breaking bread referring strictly to the Lord's table, or is this just um, broader hospitality? Um, but I think either way, um, it's, it's this gathering around table together that they're willing to, uh, again, give of themselves, open their homes to one another, worship together, um, devote themselves, not just to know when they get together to worship but to devote themselves to one another and their needs in in all facets of life um, particularly the rudiments of life i mean if you think about you know in the lord's prayer give us this day our daily bread 
They are gathering together with thankful hearts, rejoicing that God has provided for them. Um, and many of them, as we see, have, have great needs. Maybe they wouldn't have eaten that day if it were not for the body of believers sharing with one another. Good. So breaking of bread is a key. Like if you look at the, the first uh, uh, verse 42, you know, there are four areas. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. So one um, key aspect of the church is devotion to, to the word of God, to the, to the witness and teaching of the apostles. Um, the fellowship, you know, that they're with one another, the breaking of bread, and to, to prayers, like that um, they're gathered together for worship. And Luke, uh, throughout the book, is going to emphasize um, prayer, not just individuals' prayers, but the body gathering of prayer, the importance of community prayer, um, prayer that seeks God's direction, um, a church that is dependent upon God because God's family or God's um, fellowship of, that he's created doesn't work on its own power, but it only works through the sustaining power of, of God. It's not just feeling um, it is this open recognition of dependence upon God, and it's that through God that God's power is being made known to not just the people in the, the fellowship. Notice how this section ends. Um, praising God and having favor with all the people. Um, you know, we can kind of think of this as the fulfillment uh, of, of what John says in his gospel. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. And we see that working its way out. Through their love for one another, that's what's drawing other people's attention to it. Yeah, Bill. In what way? Yeah, the whole thing. <laughs> check, 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 check. It is a, it's an excellent definition of wor worship. Um, and again, to sort of think of, um, to go with what Ronnie was saying, worship is what draws these people together. It's not just like, you know, uh, an affinity group of, you know, like, uh, you know, a book club. <laughs> um, and even as they meet one another's needs, it's not about, um, you know, the, the emphasis he's putting on here isn't on people who are needy or coming to them. The emphasis on people are willing to give. Like, he's, the emphasis is on because of the presence of the Spirit in this body of believers that it works its way out through worship, um, you know, and that they're devoted to this. Um, uh, you know, that word, um, you know, it, it's not just, again, like a passing fancy. Um, this is the core of their, um, yeah, the core of their being at this moment. This is what they're devoted to, dedicated to. Yeah, that their hearts have been changed. Um, and, and Peter's talked about that in his sermon. Like, you know, <laughs> what you're seeing, you know, isn't, you know, some magic show. It's not because we're drunk. What you're seeing is the result of the Spirit filling our hearts. And if you repent and believe, that same Spirit will fill your heart as well. And what does having a heart filled with the Spirit look like? Um, it manifests itself in worship. It manifests itself to love to one another um, in a way that um, is hospitality. And again, I, um, I think it was Brian last week who mentioned, like, it's not required of them. Like, it's not a commandment. It's voluntary. It's out of the overflow of their heart. Um, this is what 
their response is. Like, there's, there's no law saying they have to do this. Um, you know, like, all right, to be a member of this organization, you got to sell everything to get in. It's voluntary, and that's going to come up in, in chapter 5 and 6 when we see the story of Ananias and Sapphira, who they sell a field and say they gave the entirety of it to the church, but held some of it back for himself. And in confronting them, Peter's like, nobody made you sell that field. It's yours. Uh, you could have kept it all along. But why have you lied you know, and, and practiced this piece of deceit by saying you did something and then not doing it? Like, it's your property. There's no requirement for you to have sold it. You could have kept it and continued to profit from having it. Um, so why the, the deception? Um, and again, there it's emphasizing this is voluntary sacrifice that comes from the overflow of the love um, and joy, uh, as, as Bill mentioned earlier, we see that um, in here. They're glad and generous hearts. Um, you know, uh, they're praising God. Like, it's, they're generous because they realize how generous God has been with them. Yeah, Jay, I had to put my glasses back on to see you. I saw a general blur. I was like, I think someone in the back row is raising their hand. <laughs> we'll, we'll get to the uh, crippled man leaping. So we might call on it for a gymnastics display at that moment. And it's wrought internally, like it's the awe that comes, like, you know, the sense of fear, like knowing you're in the presence of a holy God, and really you're going to lie in the presence of a holy God? If you're doing that, then that's to show, well, you don't really think he's, he's that, that fearful. Um, and keep, I'm glad you mentioned awe and the word fear there, because um, we're going to see that fear manifested um, next week when we look at cha chapter 4. There, there are two kind of responses in fear of the apostles' actions. There's those who hear the message and are in awe and, and in fear of God um, and you know, conviction of themselves as sinners um, who are responsible for the cru crucifixion of Christ but are responding to this free offer of grace to repent of that um, and, and respond to the gospel. Versus the fear that's going to be exercised on the part of the Sanhedrin and um, these religious leaders who fear the apostles. Like, they don't fear God. They fear what the apostles are doing and how that's going to cut into, uh, you know, that goes against the message that they're proclaiming. That they're, they're preaching Jesus and they're being successful at it. And they respond. In fear, and so it's interesting how Luke. Um, we talked about this um, um, in chapter one. How you know why Luke spends so much time on Judas um, in chapter one? Because that's going to be a major theme of the book. Like this message is going forth, and people are going to respond in faith, uh, in fear and faith, um, or they're going to respond in fear and opposition, um, and. The two lead to very different destinies, as Peter's second sermon gets into. Like one leads to this judgment and destruction, where the other leads to life. Yeah, yeah, and again, that's we'll see the the kind of response in this this next chapter. I'm glad you brought that out because. We could see chapter three being like, if we look at the, the end of chapter two, it's kind of like a summary of what's going on. Chapter three is a specific example of 
of that kind of awe that's produced and the fear. Um, so, you know, the fear of the, um, uh, of the Sanhedrin is going to come after this act that takes place in the temple. Um, but notice, too, with chapter 3, like the two things go together. Like, um, like chapter 2, you have the amazing, you know, event of Pentecost that leads to preaching. In chapter 3, you're going to have this paralytic man, lame from birth, healed, that leads to preaching. Like, you know, it's, um, the, the focus isn't, again, just on doing the, the acts themselves, but the acts are connected to the proclamation and extension of the message. Like the miracles and proclamations, um, the miracles are part of the mission, I guess, um, but, but yeah, the awe is specifically in response to all that these guys are, are doing, um, which we get the first specific example of that in chapter 3. So that's a great place to, I'm glad you brought that verse out, because it sets up. We get, um, uh, we get this, um, and all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles, and we get an example um, in chapter 3. So chapter 3 is the first of 14 recorded miracles. They might have done more, probably did do more, but Luke will narrate 14 particular uh, miracles performed by the apostles over the course of the book of Acts. So, um, you know, what strikes you, or, or what are the key aspects of this healing of this paralyzed man at the temple gate? Um, so before we get to, to Peter's address, um, let's focus just on the, the healing act itself. So um, what do we learn from Peter and John's there too, Peter and John's actions at the beginning of chapter 3? Yeah, maybe. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, maybe he didn't go through that gate. Uh, yeah, um, perhaps. <laughs> um, but, but definitely someone who had seen and known of the acts of Jesus. And um, as we see uh, in, in Luke's gospel and in the other gospels, maybe part of it is he never expressed need. Like he never made himself known to Jesus. Jesus heals the people and often who are people who um, express their need of him. And maybe he wasn't looking for healing. You know, it says he's there for alms. Like, you know, and when they, uh, when they look at him, he's not thinking healing. He's not asking for healing. Oh, these guys, they, they looked at me. Like, it's like, you know, when you're driving by the guy, um, you know, uh, panhandling, and, like, you try not to make eye contact. Like, like you make eye contact, the guy expects something. Um, and it's that idea, like, they've made eye contact. They've, they're talking to me. They're going to give me something good. Um, so maybe the fact that Jesus walks by him many times and hasn't healed him is a reflection of what he's there for. Like, this is his moneymaking. Um, you know, this is his way of, of getting alms. He's not, he's, he's not looking for healing. Yeah, and again, I mean, we to think about it, he's not a solitary person. Like, this, so um, disabled people aren't able to enter into the temple. Um, so people with a blemish, um, if you look at the Levitical law, are, are forbidden from entering the, the precincts of the holy space. Um, but they were gathered there because they knew that people going into those spaces are required to give alms. Like, so people going in to worship um, are expected to, to be generous. And so it was, you know, this is where people in need gathered. Um, and so it's not just him. There's probably lots of people similarly gathered around the gate of the temple asking for moms. 
action for all. That's all I saw Hamlin say. <laughs> it was Karen. Yeah, that's something transcendent. I mean, it, like we could use, uh, you know, we're in awe at the transcendent, something that seems to rise above just, you know, natural human powers. And clearly, like, I mean, as, as we look at this passage, um, this is, this isn't like some gimmick, like, <laughs> like, you know, it's everybody around is in awe and wonder because they know this guy He's never walked before in his life. Like, he, we've seen him at that temple gate day after day after day. And now he's, and I love, like, twice. <laughs> he's leaping. <laughs> he's not just walking. Like, this isn't like, you know, he's, it's like a halfway, like, okay, he can kind of walk <laughs> with his crippled feet. Um, you know, Peter and John are like, yeah, look, he's walking, and they're really just kind of dragging him around. Like, no, this guy is is leaping. <laughs> um, and I, I think um, Luke is specific in his language there. Um, if you think uh, to the line from Isaiah, hold on, it's on the next page by me. Um, you know, that, that line in Isaiah, um, then shall the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. Like, this is a fulfillment of prophecy. Like, the lame, you know, in that day, the lame will leap for joy. <laughs> you know, and everybody is, like, he, that's the guy from the beautiful gate, the one with the crippled feet, from birth. He's never walked before in his life. And now he's, jumping around and being noisy and uh he's in the temple area like you know he, he this person who's never been able to go in before because he's crippled is now in the place of you know the holy place um and he's jumping around and and probably pretty exuberant and praising god Yeah, that, you know, that he's able to proclaim this because, you know, again, this is Peter. This is the guy who denied, like, he knows what it is to betray Christ, turn his back on him, and yet still be loved, to be forgiven, um, to, to, to experience the healing power of God. Um, and uh, I, I didn't write down which commentator it was, but one commentator talked about the miracles are this living picture of what the gospel does it changes your life it brings healing to your brokenness like you know this guy's life is is completely different 
you know, his life has completely changed um, externally, um, but, but internally as well. Like it's an external picture of what the gospel as a whole does. And, you know, and that's why Peter can say, like, you know, as one who's healed, he can heal you too. You know, it, it's this firsthand testimony. And, and I, I like the way you, you talk about how we deal with it now because I think one of the reasons we don't is because it, it puts us in that position of need and brokenness. Like we have to be open about like, look, I'm not a person who has my life together because I have my life together. Like everything I have is the result of God's blessing in me. Like I was a broken, lost, crippled person um, until God did a work on my heart that, that he healed me. He forgave my sin. He enabled me to repent and to turn. Like So act of turning away from an old life to a new life. Um, you know, my life changed because of the work of Christ in me. And then to do that, you know, we have to be clear about how our lives change. That we are, we and ourselves are not perfect. We and ourselves don't have it together. That we are broken and hurting all the ways the people around us are broken and hurting. We didn't see our need just like they didn't see it, don't see their need. But the same Christ who healed me can heal them. Um, before we get into the sermon, uh, I, I, you know, I, and, and, Jay kind of mentioned this, alluded to this, like, you know, he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. And Peter uh, and John fixed their gaze upon him. Look at us. I have no silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. So I, I got to tell a funny story. Um, it's not my funny story. Um, uh, but there's a funny story, uh, probably like lots of funny stories, um, with a moral attached. Maybe not true, but um, but still a good story. So there's a story that Thomas Aquinas once visited Pope Innocent II, and he caught Pope Innocent II while he was counting his money. And uh, Pope Innocent II goes, "Look, Thomas, uh, see, we can we no longer." The church no longer says, I have no gold or silver. Um, and Thomas replied, yes, and the church no longer has the ability to say, rise up and walk. <laughs> um, you know, and uh, like, the, you know, the, the emphasis, like, I, I think we can fall in that danger too, like we fall in, and especially in our culture, the material comforts of, of life. Um, and we can reduce charity to just gold and silver but you know they're offering something much much more here you know they're they've changed his life but they're also also offering him life in the gospel which gets to peter's sermon anything else we want to say on the healing before we talk about what peter says afterwards So, um, I mean, I, I'm glad you pointed out it. The early church continued to um, to you know use continue to practice Judaism. Um, they continued to go to synagogues, as we see in subsequent chapters, as they move out of Jerusalem. You know, like where do they preach the gospel first? In the synagogues, where they go, um, and they're going to get turned out. So it's not that they are rejecting Judaism and like. We're going to start an alternate gathering space across. They continue to worship um, and continue to pray and continue to go to the temple, um, go to synagogues. Um, and because they don't see themselves as preaching a new gospel. Um, and, and as both Peter's sermon last week and then his sermon in chapter three, 
he's, he's not presenting himself as this is a new method. Forget about you know, that Old Testament stuff. This is New Testament. No, he's saying we're preaching the fulfillment of all prophecy. <laughs> I mean, he says that twice in chapter 3. All the prophets look to this moment. So this isn't, um, this isn't a rejection. Uh, this is the fulfillment of everything up to now. And so they are, um, you know, participating in, uh, in the worship as traditional Jews until they're kicked out. That seems to be the pattern. But, you know, but right now they're doing, you know, they're going to the temple at the time. Times are supposed to go to the temple to pray. They go to the temple to pray. Um, Good question. Um, usually we, we um, our, our typical way we talk about this is that the healing we see here is something specific to the age of the apostles. So this kind of, um, this, this power to heal is part of the, the um, New Testament era, part of the, you know, it's part of that apostolic witness. Um, and what we say now, God still, still, still heals. Um, and he still uses his church to heal, still uses the power of prayer, but we don't think of healing as saying, you know, this is a diff- healing for a different kind of purpose, like this is healing to authenticate the apostolic witness. Um, so we still would say, you know, God heals, God does miraculous things, but um, the power of enacting miracles um, to authenticate the words of God um, in, in the words of the Westminster Confession, that has that's what we believe has ceased. So that w- that would be my quick answer to that. But um, we can. S- um, no, because um, yeah, and again, we don't say it stops, but it seems to be something specific to the apostle age, um, and just as like we don't see scripture continuing to, like, we don't keep getting new scriptures, we would say. So it's part of the process of presenting the apostolic witness that we have once and for all time. So that would be, you know, um, it, healing, or, yeah, miracles as part of the um, authenticating the apostolic witness. That's what we, because we, we don't have any more apostolic witness coming to us. We transmit what's been done. Um, But uh, like I say, no. Um, Well, I mean, I I think, again, it's the way that we don't believe we're getting further scripture, like um, like John in Revelation is the last word, um, and that the church is established to present the gospel. Like if you look at Timothy and Titus, like that's where you see um, more our church kind of organization and witness is being established there as we move from the apostolic witness to the witness of the church post-apostles. Yeah, Jerry.
And again, this is something that clearly is a point of, yeah, that not all Christians agree on. Like I had a, um, I had a seminary professor who used to say, like, you still see these things where the gospel is breaking into a new place. Like it, it's where the, it's part of the, he described it as the shockwave. It's going into some place like the gospel has never gone before. So like you still often still hear these stories about kind of dramatic um, things taking place on mission fields because, you know, it's authenticating the witness of God. Again, uh, our confession doesn't say that, but, but some people sort of talk about it in that way. That Just as you see, like with tongues in the book of Acts, um, you see tongues every time the gospel goes to a new set of believers. So like the next instant we see of tongues is when the gospel is going to Samaritans. Then we see the gospel tongues break forth when even Gentiles, you know, so it's, um, there seems to be um, a distinction between this particular age of the gospel um, under the apostles, this apostolic witness, and then the subsequent regular life of the church after the gospel's established there. So you have the kind of um, the authentication of the apostolic witness, and then you have the regular life of the church. Again, we don't have prophets, but we still have prophecy proclaimed to us every week um, because it's been, we have the apostolic witness before us. We still are to devote ourselves to the apostolic teaching, even though we don't have, you know, Bill's not an apostle, um, Jerry's not an apostle, Matthew's not an apostle, I'm not an apostle, but we, we're still bearers of the apostolic witness. Um, all right, we have left like zero time for the sermon. Um, hold on, let me, I gotta think on my feet here. Um, all right, what I think I'm going to do, um, so what's gonna happen in the sermon um, is it's going to um, spark this response um, in chapter four. So um, what I think I'll do is next week, We'll focus on Peter's sermon um, and then how the Sanhedrin and the rulers and the elders respond to that sermon in the first half of chapter four. Um, yeah, uh, let's do that. So any other questions on this part of chapter three? Because we went on a direction I wasn't expecting us to. <laughs> um, I mean, we touched on, I mean, again, notice um, the amazement of the response um, and the fulfillment of prophecy. Um, and as, as Jay uh, alluded to, like Peter's not saying this is something I have the power to do, but Jesus has the power to do this. Um, and that's gonna be the first part of his, his sermon, you know, responding to their wonder. Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this or why do you stare at us though by our own power or piety, uh, as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you and you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. And his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. So it's that the emphasis is on, it's the faith in Christ Jesus that has brought about um, this change in this man's life. Again, as we think about the message going forward, the emphasis is on belief in Jesus Christ. So let's close with that, um, and then we'll pick up with the sermon next week. So. Gracious God, we do thank you for your uh, mighty deeds and your work among us, that your gospel message has gone forth and continues to go forth, that you've healed bodies um, and you 
continue to heal bodies, uh, but even more that you have healed our broken relationship with you. That while we were yet uh, at enmity with you, while we were your enemies, you loved us and gave yourself for us. And thus you call us to demonstrate that same love. Love to one another by uh, meeting the needs of one another, lifting the needs for one another uh, up in prayer. Um, but that you also uh, do it by we are showing love to our enemies. That we're even willing to sacrificially love those who seek our lives. And that is the foundation of your church, the love of Christ, uh, displayed uh, through us as we uh, reflect that love to one another and to a watching world. That we as people who are recipients of the love and healing grace of Jesus Christ show forth that love and healing grace to uh, one another and to those around the earth. Help us uh, be bearers of witness to you by the power of your spirit. Amen.